Welcome to the Technoy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Joining me on the show today, CEO of M25, Victor Gutlein. Uh, Victor is a sweet dude. This is one of the, I think, more fun shows. We talk about everything from my dislike of cream of wheat and his more or less uselessness of potatoes, which is blowed my, blows my mind. Um, he has child number two coming. I have child number one coming. Our wives both think that we are not participating nearly enough. Uh, that was part of the conversation, and you might ask why we would talk about that. It has a lot to do with how you build your company and how a CEO uh, you know, scales people, which ultimately has an impact on why a guy like Victor would invest in you. Some of the questions that he wants answered before he puts money in companies. And by the way, they put a ton of money in a ton of companies, which I love. Uh, that is my favorite. Spray it and pray it is my favorite um, favorite approach. And, and Victor, of course, pray it added to this with M25 being um, having a religious sort of background. So very cool conversation. Before we talk to Victor, check that startup inbox, which is brought to you by Active Campaign. See why 65,000 businesses use Active Campaign for their marketing by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technory. Get your first two months for free. Question of the day. How do I gauge when a good time to explore and exit for a company? Well, I don't know. Talk to Adam Newman from WeWork. I would say when the doors and windows are shuttering is a good time. Uh, Another good time might be when you just find you have no passion for it. I want to give a shout out, speaking of exits and not shuttering, uh, a shout out to my good friend David Colt from Reverb, who just exited uh, to Etsy acquisition worth $275 million in a cash deal. Unbelievable news for for David, for Reverb, and for the city. David, I had a chance to talk to before he did this, uh, a while before he did this. I did not know he was doing this, but I guess it was fortuitous. He just felt like it was time. And you would ask, like, well, what does that mean? He literally just felt like he had given all he had to give to this and that he was in a job where at this current juncture he felt like he was um, managing a ship. On the you know he's on the calm waters and the ship is just kind of going and and his job is to grow it and keep it going and some founders some people just like the heavy you know crashing waters and that's when they want to jump in and jump off and when it starts to get calmer they just want out I don't know what the answer is for you when you want to exit but I think that the the cue should be either financially I need to get the hell out of Dodge or functionally I just want to do something else and I think there's a t- a time where we all want to do that but like. You kind of need to know if it's like, uh, I want to scratch an itch or it's like, I really am done. In which case, you should probably figure out financially what your exit strategy is going to be and if it's even attainable. If it is, jump. If it's not, well, you got to figure that out. All right. Anyway, speaking of exits, let's talk about investments with the CEO and founder of M25, Victor Gutlein. And I, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation going on about at home. First off, a cream of wheat guy. I don't even. That's a new thing. The cream of wheat is new for you? Well, I I had some growing up, but we just instituted that into our diet. I've been making scrambled eggs nonstop for a couple months and wanted to mix it up a little bit. So I'm a scrambled egg guy. I have like the like I go to a restaurant, I say two eggs or three eggs scrambled, and if I say two, then it's two pieces of toast or whatever it is, or if it's three, it's three. I gotta keep numbers going. The ratio. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't want any like hash browns or anything, like no weird shit. Like I just not that that's weird. It's just I want it simple. Cream of wheat was my mom's thing, and she would try. I can't get. Uh, I just can't get behind it. I don't. It's I mean, you flavorless. always have to add something to it. Right? That's the trick. And I've been adding almond butter. Okay, so well, that might open your horizons a little bit. My, but my my food question in this, and you you invest in a bunch of food companies, so this is appropriate, I guess. 
I feel like if you have to add something to it to make it edible, is it is there a purpose to this? So like kale is gone in my diet. Okay, I, so where where does the potato leave you then? Uh, fucking brilliant. Potatoes are great no matter what. You have to add oil or Do salt you, or something. I think I could take a baked potato, the... throw it in the microwave, and just eat that thing right out of the microwave. Okay. I well, mean, obviously butter and things is better, but like yeah, I, I've I've kind of sworn off potatoes. I think they're like kind of the one of the most empty foods that you only taste good if you put bad things on them. Bad things for you. I can't disagree. They're empty in the sense that they only cause bad. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, if you want to lose weight, the first, like, the three, the three things that I like are, are potatoes, bread, and we'll throw pasta in that bread. Yeah. So, like, that's what I eat. So, like, if you remove bread, if you want to lose weight, they say get rid of potatoes and bread, which is my diet. Yeah. So then I'm just stuck with the RX bar, which is fine. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> but like, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think, uh, I think with potatoes. It's just something that, like, like a sweet potato has real flavor in it. There's yeah. a natural taste I like sweet there. Potatoes. But the basic, you know, like your Yukon Gold or whatever it's called, like that's that's not doing it for me. All Idaho, they're all they're, no one's invested. <laughs> we don't in invest you. there, so it's we okay. don't put our money in Idaho. So <laughs> yeah. I don't even care if they like us. Sweet potato, though, just to end the rant, I I love sweet potatoes. Sweet potato fries have no use for that. Well, that's the healthier way for people to eat fries. That's like they justify fries by making them sweet potato fries, and then they eat like twice as much. As yeah, they Portillo's fries, that's the healthy way to, to do yeah. fries. Um, so the reason we're rambling about food is that I now have entered the fatherhood realm. You are there. Mm-hmm. and Welcome. I be- <laughs> yes, thank you. I, um, our, and a quick shout-out to our friend Dudley, Dudley Byler, who also just uh, his wife gave birth to twins. Oh, congrats. Wow. Right? And he Big said, he said how, how is it going? And I said, it's a thunderstorm. I don't oh, know if that's... I mean, yeah. It actually starts off more to storm. And then... That was me being funny. It's not. I don't, no, I don't it... find anything funny about it. <laughs> I thought he was. He, you were quoting him. He no, was no. I, I, he asked me how was it. I was like, it's. A, oh. I was trying to be nice. I was like, it's a thunderstorm, <laughs> and he was like, oh, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's the dad jokes. So you got those. Step yeah, one. See, I'm right there. Check the box. Now I can start having random conversations with people I've been trying to avoid my entire life. Yeah, and they actually mean something now. Those conversations about babies and being a father, and you know. So to quote another Vic, Vic Pascucci, who's been on the show talking about that, said the same thing to me. He said. That like, oh, you know, now we have a meaningful, and so did Brett, Brett Go from Expo. You have a, a meaningful conversation with people. And I was like, but do you though? Like, well, it's, I know it's, it's like talking about the weather. It's like, hey, like, how's the Cubs doing? You know, it's, it's just kind of like general small talk, but it's a little bit deeper than that because Cause it's, it's so personal. Kid. And like, yeah. you could bring up pictures and. But see, like, that's where I get lost. Is like the idea of somebody being like, oh, let's talk about our kids. It's like, ugh, I don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, you'll get there once. Maybe how old is your kid now? Uh, today she turned six weeks. Yeah, so that's not much to talk about, right? When well, they no, get, yeah. yeah, when they get a little older. But then, then you then have you, to you... want to talk to people first, yeah. right? <laughs> like if someone's like, "Well, let me tell you about Jimmy. He's on the on the you know team's tennis team," and I'd be like, "I could love yeah. tennis, but well, I don't love get, Jimmy." Then people start to get competitive about that too. See, that's that's where I reengage. That's where it's fun. That's where I take my little Michelle Wee and I, I train her up in golf, and they kick their kids' oh, yeah. ass. Then I'm ready to talk. Yeah. So right now for me, it's like. <laughs> Hey, your kid's walking. Well, my kid can skip, you know, or something. You just like try to one up. It's the one upper for for little kid tricks. Basically, see, that's what goes on outside of our homes. Inside the homes, it's a different ball game, though, because you and I have kind of similar career time spendings, yeah. and our wives, based on what I heard from you and I know from me, are maybe less than thrilled with our um, what's the word? I don't want to say integration. That sounds too uns- insensitive. Um, participation. Part of, yeah. 
Yeah. I, she she says I'm I'm not participating to the fullest extent. Yeah. Um, no, I mean we get this a lot. Um, we the is this the proverbial we? Well, yeah. I mean, I talked to a lot dads? of dads. Remember, I just had these conversations <laughs> with all these dads. Yes, that's true. And uh, it's either you're being pulled to work or you're being pulled home. So your friends are just kind of out. Yeah, is the first thing. But then you try to find something that can be meaningful that you can kind of maximize the meaning of the time that you're home. Yeah. And uh, for me, it was making breakfast. I, that was the cream of wheat. I was like, I'm gonna start making a hot breakfast. Started with scrambled eggs, got sick of those, and now I'm trying to alternate. So, I mean, there's other ways. There's being home on time. Which you know I'm, how miserable this sounds, right? <laughs> like, this is like, and, I, and I'll, I'll compound this because I have taken to, I, and I swear to God, I said this to my wife when she said, what is the, like, the marquee thing that you're going to do? And I said, I, I clean up shit all day, so I might as well do it at home. So my marquee is whenever she, whenever the baby, whenever baby Vivian needs a change, I'm the one who puts my hand out. Because it's just another day yeah. at the office. I would have volunteered for something a little bit different. Um, <laughs> I, I tend to be the guy cleaning up the scraps in the kitchen, so I just like yeah, I just eat I a little that. bit I more. I just eat them. I eat all my daughter's yeah. scraps. It's like you know, free meal. Yeah, exactly. I, I do that too. I'm a cleanup. I guess I'm a cleanup guy. Yeah, I don't. Know, I batted fourth in high school baseball, so I don't. Maybe well, I that's, that's built for me. <laughs> it's built for me. Yeah. This is a random conversation with Victor that probably you're not expecting, but. I, I think this is a – I'll tell you what. There's a reason that I wanted to start this way other than it makes for a good show. These are the things that you need to know about all of your people before you invest in them. Like the most important stuff. Like I talked to – I think you knew and I made intros either way to Ronnie Sage from Shopping Gives. Yeah. And I specifically asked Ronnie, and this is – I just for clarification because I won't send this to Ronnie. I believe you're wrong, Ronnie. I asked him before the baby was born. I was like, you know, what's it like? And he was like, you can pick three things in life. You could be a good father, you could be a good husband, you could be a good, you know, CEO, you could be a fitness person, you could be what but you can only do three. Yeah. Or and you I'll, can sleep too, right? Oh yeah, that was the other one. Sleep. And yeah. I, and, and I was like, Yeah, that's the other one. And it, and he the one he left out was be a good husband. And I was like, I well. cur- currently I think you can do more than just three. You can just I my approach is to take a half assed approach at, at like five. So you get five touches, but you know maybe okay at yeah. two. You're trying to like just be average B plus or something, right? I mean, I've always been a C student, so like if I can be an A, dude, I tech, test take like a mother. If I can do really, really exceptional work at like the key things that matter to you, yeah, and I can loaf with the rest of the time, I'm good with it. Yeah. Question is, are you good with it? I uh, I'm not the perfectionist, so like don't put me in that bucket. Yep. But I am a, I'm I'm more about efficiency. So like let's do like eighty percent, and surprise. you know eighty percent get there, get the job done, yeah. and like try to like get eighty percent real quick on something else because twenty percent of that's all your time. Yeah. So I use the same math. Yeah. I say seventy. I try to get tasks to seventy. It's just seventy is a C student. That's just that's why you went to University of Chicago and yeah. I went to Marquette and <laughs> Northwestern, and I didn't get to go to 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 be at Booth. Um, the reason I bring this up and I mentioned Ronnie is entrepreneurs, people think of entrepreneurs and, and startups as like 20 year olds. They're not like the, the vast majority of investable entrepreneurs. The, I can't remember the exact average age, but Kaufman Foundation said it was like 36. Yeah, that sounds about right. Which is like for me, I know that my partner, Mike Rothman, was thrilled. The, like within the month of our closing of the deal, I got married. I had surgery on my hand because I was insured and and I had a, now a child on the way. Like wow. that, that, because it was like finally there was at least some consistency, and I had some security to like, all right, now I've got a building block. Yeah, and and we and we 
entrepreneurs don't have that normally. And so like, these are the questions that I think are probably more important a lot of times than Mm -hmm. even the business. Like, tell me about what your circumstances are. How do you, how do you manage life? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, there, you can tell kind of when something's off there. Um, when, when either maybe it's a dynamic amongst the team or it's something that the founder can't or isn't fully engaged in the business or saying, you know, yeah. Or there's, and there's a reason for that. Um, and it's, you know, there's something else, uh, behind them. Um, usually also we look at kind of like, what are your life handcuffs to start this business and to be running this business? Um, and some of them, you know, that they're not putting everything in because they don't have that stability or the willingness to give up the stability. Um, and so, you know, that's why, you know, sometimes too old a founder can be difficult if they have all these life handcuffs. Yep. But then too young and they don't have as much experience. So, and you know that some of those cuffs are coming. Yeah. And how will they handle it? Yeah. If they're I, about to get married, they're about to have a baby, they're about to do this. Have hand surgery. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you, yeah, probably, probably not the best time. Um, <laughs> so I want to drill into the, this a little bit, the, the handcuff part and kind of what you're looking for. Because I, I do think, I, I think some people are going to not like this next statement. And you might be one of my, I don't think so based on what I hear though. I, I think that people don't quite understand that it's okay to have to make certain sacrifices. Like, yeah, it sucks, right? I mean, it sucks that I'm not going to be home the same amount of time as some of my friends are with their family, their kids. But like, I was upfront about that with my wife. We, she knew when yeah. we got started that this was, that things were going to be different. At our you, house. Weren't, you weren't sticking to a nine to five, right? Yeah. And, and that, that means you give up something. And I think there's a lot of sentiment on people wanting founders to be able to have a super balanced life. And like, just like you expect the nine to five job that, you know, most of America has, but that, that means that's going to be a bad founder. Most yeah. likely. Oh, for, I, they, not even question. you know, like they have to give up something to get this, you know, and very few people will do that and do that successfully and put everything in all in on that. Um, but it's not like, I think we expect in this kind of liberal era of, you know, you only having to work so much and then being able to do this and have your family and have your home and have your you cake know. and eat it too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I think that that's, that's a myth for successful founders. And you look at the the biggest tech icons and there's, there's not, it's not a happy life. Uh, there's a lot of drama. There's, there's divorces, there's yeah. horrible things. Um, and they've given up everything to be at the top. So I, you know, sometimes there is an extreme, so I'm not encouraging yeah, the extreme, yeah, but it's not doesn't mean you can do all I, of that. I want to I want to say to people honestly with regard to that and and listen, I'm saying this now happily married with a, a child and working through the balance almost entirely because my wife is is a saint with regard to my lifestyle and and like puts up with this shit, but quite honestly, I I think that like and I, I you know obviously I, I don't think anything's going to go south on me, but like you never know. I just I feel like I was thoughtful. When I selected my spouse, I knew who I was and I knew what I wanted in life and I knew what were the restraints that my life desires were going to require. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't go into it and be like, oh my God, I love you. And despite the fact that there's nothing in common about the way we live, yeah. like it's, it's predictable. And people don't make those sacrifices to be like, you know what? I'm not going to get married at 23. I'm going to get married at 35 or 34 or 33. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure I find a, a spouse who, in my case, she's a teacher, our lives are in fact the opposite of parallel, but they're the opposite of parallel in the right way. They're the way that she's where I'm not and I'm where she's not. And I think, you know, to your point you were saying about, you know, maybe not happy and the the, the trade-offs, 
I would tell people that one of the biggest trade-offs in a positive light for being married to an entrepreneur is yes, you lose out on some of the sacrifice stuff that happens at the house, but you get an inspired, ideally inspired person who is exceptionally, if not happy in the obvious sense, happy with their life's work. They do what fulfills them. Yes. They're, they're a person who you can spend time with. Who's not going to spend that time bitching about random garbage. They're going to, they only have so much time with you. So when I, four years ago, when I was told my wife, Hey, I think I should start. I'm 25. I should quit my, I had a corporate job at Walgreens and you know, I was like, Hey, let's, let's do this. She didn't even hesitate to support me. Whereas most people I talk to like 95%. How does this impact what we're doing? Uh, (laughs) Like, like they were like, she just, she just said like, you know, this is the right fit for you. Like it was very clear. And I think it was. You know, I don't know if I was just a good pitch, you know, and so, like, yeah, I sold it to no, her. No, but you're you yeah. you picked properly because you knew who you were. Yeah, and I think in this, I promise, this actually does go towards like companies and things. The my wife, very similar. My wife actually, so and this, I think this is also important for people to know, and it's this can be used for business also. That you have responsibility. You're married with a kid. Yeah, or is it one kid for you or got another one in a month? Congratulations! Thanks. Condolences. Um, <laughs> you've got you've got responsibilities that you can't run from. Yeah. So when when my wife says things to me, it is already assumed that in my head and in my planning that I've accounted for the fact that we will need money for a house and mortgage soon. There will be certain requirements that if shit goes south, she can help for a small period of time. But otherwise, it's on me. So like that's mm-hmm. assumed to don't 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 screw up. That said. My wife is the first person to tell me when I come home and I complain about whatever item is not going the way I think it should be professionally to go, that's your problem. It's never going to work. Move on. And th- this is real like, talk. Oh, yeah. And she'll be like, she'll be, I affectionately call her my COO. She says that's something that's in, in writing. So I don't know if that's a, oh, wow. a threat. But uh, <laughs> she literally is the person who says to me, like, knowing that that has an impact on our money, like on everything. That's like, I'm, I'm telling you, I know who you are. And I know that if, if it's going to be a, a drudge like this, it's never going to work. And so you might as well just kill this shit right now. Yeah. She just says it. And then also probably trying to get out of the conversation. But like <laughs> she says it and that's, you can't pay for that kind of yeah. honesty. You always listen to her then? I do the same as I do with everybody else. I consider it. Yeah. Like if she tells me it's a bad fit, I immediately consider that because that's you. You're an objective person knowing my reactions. Yeah. So, so you like hear that. the advice, you take it oh, in, for sure. you consider it carefully. I may yeah. do things different. Like, I might choose, my convictions may push me to, to pursue something that maybe failed regardless, but I just feel like I have to, to scratch. Yeah. But I certainly stop and go when somebody, even if I don't respect the person, I go, it's worth, like yeah. they didn't say Understand it for the nothing. context, why they say that. Yeah, you correct. Know. And I don't, you don't know everything and yeah. you, you can't possibly pay attention to everything. So the, I guess the point of all this is, the same is said for business, and a lot of these founders, especially those that are not successful repeat, they have to manage not only themselves, but a team. And they've mm-hmm. got to grow a team, and the team of people they're hiring are probably young. They're probably going through the same shit. Yeah. Like, so you, don't, you have to be so good at it to manage your own life that you now have to do it times 100. Yeah, and you're stretched then. And ask you for money <laughs> and convince you to give it to them. Yeah. That so is the CEO's no list tech. of responsibilities is is very long and they it, they kind of have to only pick a couple at any one point in time and uh you know it's it's fundraising and sales one time it's hr hiring and uh kind of like maybe it's a strategic partnership at another yep. time it's selling the business at another time so it's hard to do everything they, they you know 
good CEO tries to balance that or hire people to do that. But it's funny. This is a question that I ask founders, not on the show, usually just because I, they most of the time say the wrong thing. And that's probably not what they wanted when they came here. But I ask them usually afterward or like in a private conversation, what what do you what keeps you up at night? Yeah. As a, as a to be CEO or founder, what is the things that like you're going on? And the answers are usually really shitty. Like they're, they're usually completely way off base, in which case I don't correct them. I might give them guidance or whatever, but like I'm just out on that. Like, well, what's a bad answer there? Well, I mean, I'll give you an example. I don't, so for myself, when I was a quote unquote, like, and I kind of still am, but like a solopreneur. Yeah. The only thing I had to worry about is don't die. Like that's really the only thing. Cause like the only thing yeah. that could derail me is that I would be dead. Otherwise it's, I'm the only person who's on the line. But when you're a person who, so one of the lines that I, I really like um, was from, well, I can't remember who the original quoter is, but Bill Campbell, the trillion dollar coach used to talk about this a lot. Okay. He would say, um, titles are what make you manage or give you the ability to be a manager. Being a manager is what gives you the ability to be a leader. And so the idea that you're focused on the people and the problems that are going to uh, that you're going to mm-hmm. encounter not as a business but like as people that you're the things you're going to need to guide if those are your concerns i like to listen i like to see cuz i think you're thinking way ahead yeah if you're thinking about stuff that is like uh check you know payroll tomorrow yeah I, that's now you're trying to like teach the people how to manage the company not manage it yourself not kind of yeah, lead it like try to get you into the item. macro yeah. like if yeah. you're if you're already lined in micro it's just very difficult that's to, like that's the stage that a lot of our companies when we invest in them are like they're they're at that point there's only a handful of people on the team but they're you know within a year they might grow to like 20 25 people and you know they're thinking about all of that yeah but they're still caught in a lot of those details and, and they're trying to get their head above that, you know, which is not to say that like, that's, of course it's important. Yeah. And like, I mean, obviously you'd be out of business, but like this stuff, like that should be, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of who was it? Will, Will oh, we had a guy, uh, the Lou Malnati's famous family, Will uh, Malnati yeah. uh, was on the show and he said, he goes, I absolutely crush a, day, a work day, but I really had to work hard to gain perspective. Okay. And it was a line that stuck with me because it was like, I, I think if you're doing well, you should be able to manage all of your tasks. You've got your task payroll. If you don't have payroll, you better sell. If you don't have sell, you better raise. Like whatever the case, those shouldn't be things that are like keeping you up. Those are just statistical facts. Yeah. What's going to keep you up or should be keeping you up is how somebody else is going to eat your lunch, how the market conditions are swaying ahead of you, how far behind are yep. you from the curve, things that like you have time to fix. Like problems to think about kind of. Yeah. Stuff like the bigger problems of your business that you can, if you think about it, put it to work, you know, put some thought on it, you can, you can have an impact. Cause on like, it. what if I said to you, if I'm, if I'm trying to raise money from you and, and you said to me, what do you, what keeps you up at night? And I said, making payroll on Thursday. And you said to me, I mean, yeah, you well, know, that's obviously just a negative fight, signal right there. But. Yeah. But like, no, but like it could be a million different things. Yeah, it could be yeah. like, you know, that I'm raising and we're, we're up against yep. it or whatever. The fact of the matter is no matter what you like, no matter what you think of me as an investment. That is not something that I can solve right now. Like, yeah. it's too late. So, like, you should have been thinking about yeah, we that. We want to hear the vision. Yeah, you should have been thinking about that, like, six months ago. Like, how yeah. when we scale to 25, how are we going to manage payroll? Because our sales are only X. That's something to think about. Not yeah. tomorrow. I'm fucked. Like, that's, that's not going to help anybody. Yep. yep. I don't know. These are just things that in my head. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, hitting, you're hitting a lot of it. I think, um, I mean, these are the... Like, so when we're making an investment, like we want to know too, like 
like the founder has to have a really strong vision for where this company is going to go. And it, it is blocked out. Like there is that near term stuff, but it's what's six months out. What's 12 months out. What's like 18, 24. I mean, everybody's always asking for like, what's your five year plan. But no, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of irrelevant at that yeah. point. Like there's a long, maybe like we could be the blank for blank. Projections you know? are so fun. But yeah, but I mean, it is important to think like, okay, like really, where do you think you can take this? What are you basing that off of, of course, but where do you think you can take this and what do you want it to be? How fast do you want to scale? What, and like, and then we drill into, okay, so tell me how you're going to do that. And then you get into the specifics, right? But that's kind of what guides the conversation. Like, where is this going to go? What are you doing right now? And where's it going to go? What are, so for M25, what, what are the, you guys, you take a very unique approach, I think, compared to what goes on here in Chicago, at least. Uh, What goes into what you're looking for, for investments? What are the kind of the sweet spots of like, because of our experience, you obviously know how to interview a founder and find out if it's legit and that they're, they can be helped or whatever. But what is that spot where you're like, these are the kind of things we like? Yeah. Um, so there are the basics, right, um, that everybody's going to say, like team, market opportunity, you know, traction and, you know, product, right? Yeah. But what, when it gets down to it, like we really are, are interested in the company that um, has a balance of those that, you know, that, that, that makes it compelling across all the other investments we're seeing. And we're seeing like over a hundred a month. Yep. Right. So there's a lot of investments, but that balance has to be there. So we haven't invested in a team that's just, um, just a great CEO yeah. and that's it. Um, we haven't invested in a company that's just scaling really well. or has a lot, a lot of revenue, but we don't necessarily see the potential and the market opportunity long-term. So there has to be a lot of balance, and we look at that as objectively as we can. We kind of score this on a, a scorecard model that's yep. that's pitting every variable against all the other opportunities we've seen. Um, what you know, recently we've been really interested in companies that are in huge markets but are very very early. So you know, the the team is compelling, but they've only managed to get that first couple thousand dollars, or like you know, they've gotten their first commitments yep. uh, to use them. Um, and, but this could be, this could explode. They could sign some big deals. They could, within a year, they could be over a million, um, ARR, you know, and it could really just take off. We want, and and there's risk there, right? But you know, that the potential is huge. We'd rather take big swings and, and, you know, fail on a lot. So I think, uh, uh, you recently interviewed Cabin from True Public. I was thinking of as you were talking. (laughs) I that's, just talked I mean, to Cabin yesterday. We're going to the the BMW. He's going to join us on the oh, Sunday. That's, that's great. Oh, that'll be yeah. that'll be fun. Thanks for the invite. Um, he has extra <laughs> tickets. Are you investing in him? If you are, get no. That we ticket. already did. No. Oh, we, what the we, hell? Yeah, yeah. We back. get that ticket from Cabin. No, he probably needs to take somebody that could be the next investor. You know what I mean? So. That, that's the world we live in. <laughs> Jesus. So no, but I, I'll, I'll text him. Um, but uh, no, the the point is like that's a risky company. I sure. mean, that's a huge idea. You already talked to him, so you yeah. know. But. Um, but heck, I mean, we so we invested in that like you know six eight months ago, yep. and it was I, I I saw it. It was just an app. Yep. Was like, this is a great UI. Like I love like like I can see where this could go. And I t- we talked to him and saw his huge vision, and also heard about the engagement. These yep. users were crazy for yeah. it. Um, we I showed it to my wife who doesn't download any apps, and yep. she spent like forty five minutes on it. Um, so you know you start to like wow, like all the pieces are coming together. I will. Uh, I want to double down on that because it was. We'll use Cabin as an example. I'll use Cameo as another example. And not just because we're picking winners. I mean, there's a bunch of, you know, yep. burnouts that I've also said good things about. But Cameo and Cabin, um, which companies called True Public, not Cabin, but we're just going to call them Cabin. <laughs> Both of those companies, so like Cameo literally p- 
pitched it, Technori, and turned. He actually activated the app, went online live. I remember that. At, yeah. at the Chase Auditorium, which is a, a miracle in itself because there's no data down there. So I don't know how the hell he did it. Uh, my guess is somebody else did it and he just pretended. But anyway, um, <laughs> the, when, he, when Stephen Galanis came into the show and he was talking about this, I literally loved the idea the minute I heard it because I thought, I, I don't know if I buy into the business model you're telling me today. But what you're building from a, from a blueprint standpoint, I think I can help or know people who can build a ridiculous revenue stream and business on this. And Cabin is one of those. There's like 10 different applications that what he's built can be used for. And it's a matter yeah. of like, do you guys have the ability to identify it and build a business model around it and the contacts and saleability to get in front of the right people? Yeah. And with investors like you and other people, like they can get in front of the right people. So now it comes down to execution. And that is in, in the investor land. If you can get your investments and your portfolio down to the only ones you're betting on are those that come between execution and not. Yeah. You're in a pretty good spot. Yeah. And, and then it's, you know, did we make the right bet on the team at that point? And, yeah. you know, it, it, uh, it'll vary, right? We'll have well, that's a tough that, one. Yeah. yeah. Cause these are real early. Yeah. Um, another one that, that kind of, you know, another Chicago story. Have you heard of Winston privacy? Oh yeah. He yeah. came in here with this security, uh, oh, he did. Like yeah. kits and all this stuff. I mean, that's something that, I mean, another great team. It's not like these teams have sold billion dollar companies yeah. before though. Right. No. So, um, but another great team that had hit on something that's still kind of an early, not super mainstream trend of data privacy. Yeah. You, you know, it's not a mainstream because there's hacks every day and people, you know, have a little bit of an outrage, but it's not. Yeah, they it's don't not. even know it. <laughs> yeah, but 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 it's a, it's a growing thing. It's getting into mainstream, yeah. and there's no way for a mainstream person to really, to, you know, really have any control at all over what goes in or out of their home. Um, and so this, you know, and they just had a really successful Kickstarter. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you saw. I did. Yeah, but um, you know, that that's another one where it's like this has a huge potential. This is opening up basically a new market. Um. We don't really know where it's at yet. It was it, we invested, you know, six months ago or something, and so the hardware wasn't you know done yet even. But there's a lot of potential there. They had a lot of interest in pre signups and everything. So there was some of that validation, but also this was a this was a market that was going to either be really big or it's going to flop. You I, know? I think of uh, another one like that as tillable. Yeah, where it's like Jesus, like with the cannabis and the needing to use space for growing. He doesn't even talk about cannabis. His business is ag and using basically leasing land but like the ability for us to reuse space and farmland in a different way the market is insane yeah and and so like to me it's like i don't know that that's the business but it's like going back to kind of your thesis here it's big ideas and if you're fortunate enough, and we'll get into the the money part of this in a second but the if i think of like code two management yeah. they have what they call the bfi the big fucking idea that's their thing <laughs> And that's what they look after. If you have the money to be able to to pursue only big fucking ideas, you're going to hit one. Yeah. <laughs> like presumably, if you're intelligent at all, or yeah. just lucky. Um, and I and I I think that that's a when you're going in at early stage companies. I think that's like, why would you do any other? Like, well, it depends. I mean, I mean, part of the reason people don't is because they don't want to lose money. And if you are doing few investments. There's the key. That's that's. I mean, if you're doing few investments, you're not going to take the moonshot ideas. You're not going to take something that's where shooting where the puck is going. You're yep. going to take something that's a little more safe. But it's like that to me. I mean, again, this is obvious, and you know this. But like, for people listening, as you, as you look at investing, you're looking at companies. Like you, you need to know who you are. This is like going back to picking a spouse thing. Like you need to know who you are and what your like strengths are. And if if 
finding early acquisition targets is like your business great yeah you don't need to raise nearly as much capital you don't need to spend nearly as much time like that's great for you but if you're if you're in the business that you're in which is why i want to start pivoting towards your kind of why you did it this way i i think that one of the mistakes chicago has made historically and i think that you guys are kicking ass because of this is that they didn't raise it's not about necessarily how much money but they didn't raise the appropriate amount of money knowing that it was going to be reappropriated at X percentage for all of these really early companies, we're going to throw a ton of them. Yeah. Uh, some money because the B- BFI is there. It's just a matter of like not missing one. Yeah. Like the biggest thing you can do is not like not hit on one. That's yeah. it. And you keep mentioning cameo, which is one we missed on. So well, a lot of us I, every time. <laughs> no, but I think, I mean, the point is that, um, to, to hit the big one, you have to be willing to lose to be willing to lose. It means you have to have a lot of investments because, um, if if you're worried about every investment, then you're going to take safe investments because if you're only doing yeah. ten investments, so so we have 88 portfolio companies so far in the past four years, so it, that's a lot, right? And we didn't know which ones were going to be our best companies when we first invested, but we're trying to make investments into things that could be huge. Yeah, and you know you're doing your research and due diligence, you're trying to make a really thoughtful decision, but ultimately there's a lot of um, just the things that can happen that are outside of your control or the unknown unknowns you know like yeah. there's there's all of these items so you know we're trying to to take big swings and um you know we have we've allocated that capital accordingly right so it's not like we're um we're, we're relatively evenly allocating yeah. our, ca- our capital amongst each one because you don't You're know just which playing one's at gonna... the roulette table no yeah no there's some thought here so it's um you know there's that's kind of the the core thesis and why i think we've you know we have some winners and we have, we have you know we have losers too we can talk about those but you know, I mean, that's that's kind of the the model for I, us. Honestly, and I hate the people who are like, "Oh, learn to fail, fails good, fail, fail, whatever." Like, sure, whatever. What I like about the 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 bad example companies that we have is like, I know I learned something from it, but actually, it's less about what I learned from it as much as it is like I identified that they were onto something. Yeah, they executed poorly. It's a test. It's yeah. like, yeah, you would like to spend money in a better way than than flaming out a company, but I, I think it it sends you in the right direction of like, okay, so we did see that there is market demand here. Find somebody else like them that with a better whatever. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, I can't remember who the investor was we had on here, but we got into this kind of back and forth when he, he took the opposite approach of like, he was not a BFI guy. He was a, I want to make these like say, he kept saying, we want to make safe investments, blah, blah, blah. Not referring to the instrument, but rather just like a safe investment. (laughs) And I was like, what is safe? Like when you're talking about startups, yeah. What 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 to you is a safe investment? I mean, there's there's safer, that, sure. but they're still not they're still not like for sure things, you know. Like I mean, they're far from it. I mean, it's like if you ask me down the road, like okay, if we if all things equal, and we both had seventy percent fail rate, and you invested fifty thousand a pop, and I invested seventy five or a hundred thousand a pop because mm-hmm. it's safer. We both only had seventy percent hits. Who do you think is going to fill out on top? And it's of course you don't know, but like. My money is going to go on the the person who threw money into the, the bigger BFI. ideas. Yeah, and I think that's like if you if you actually look at the distribution of returns, uh, it's it's a power law. So, like being in the one in a thousand, yeah, is that that's that 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 will be a huge chunk of those returns. It's not being in the the middle of the pack. The middle of the pack is, you know, one to two x. You know, so so that's you know, but that's obviously the different strategies, right? I mean, like there's you know. There's reasons people do different different strategies and stuff. So you can't 
you know, you kind of have to take everything with with that context. Of course, and and I'm not. But, I mean, who am I to, to question someone who's been very successful at, at making smart investments? To him, maybe it's smart and safe because he knows the outcome. Because he in his brain he sees what I don't see, and that's in lies the difference. But like, I have always believed this, at least in the early stage tech. Part of that's because I want to be invested in in stuff that I'm interested in. Like, mm-hmm. it seems cool to me the game changing stuff. But why can't we make our safe investments? on the follow-on why can't we kiss frogs in the front end yeah. of it and be like oh now after nine months or a year later this is much safer so i will invest in you caven again because you've landed me this deal yeah like, and that's i mean that's 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 a typical follow-on strategy just most people aren't getting in as early as we go and we're about the you know alongside the first institutional investor yeah. sometimes we're the only institutional investor in the round and uh, and the, the strategy being that, you know, that's the cheapest time to buy equity, yeah. but it's also the riskiest. You know, those are the ones that are most, you know, that have the highest failure rate. And so, you know, but our follow on investments are safer. You know, A, B, C rounds every time you do a new round, it, hypothetically, it gets it gets, you know, safer, um, whatever that means. Right. When they ask for it, would you go back and give 50,000 bucks for half or one percent of cameo? Oh, yeah. I think I would. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I would. Like in retrospect, yeah. Stephen, is that still there? Um, no, oh, we it. never signed this document. It's still I open. found this piece of paper. Kleiner Perkins will not mind. Yeah. Um, no. So I, I think it's, it, to me, it's obvious. And maybe that's just because I've seen so much garbage and so much good come through. What was it about the strategy or about your experiences and, and just who you are that made you decide this? Because if you walked into parts of New York, but definitely Silicon Valley, they would look at you like, well, duh, that's what you do. Yeah. But in Chicago, that's not how people looked at that. Well, so when I was starting just over four years ago, it was you know, kind of looking at the market was the Midwest had some capital, but it was relatively conservative. Right. I think we can easily say that. And, um, you know, there was a burgeoning startup growth, an ecosystem, you know, growing as a percentage of all U.S. early stage deals. It's been growing from like 10 percent 10 years ago to 20 percent now. Like it's, yeah. it's really taken off. Um but there wasn't a lot of risk capital early on. So like, no. to me, the strategy was, where do I have an opportunity to make an impact? Everywhere. You know, and it's, and it's early. It's early yeah. and it's, it's a lot of deals. And, and that was where, you know, we can actually get some traction. We can, as somebody with no brand, no reputation, a brand new firm, we can actually make an impact and then start people, you know, people start hearing about us. Oh, you invested in that company? You know, that, that, that happens time and time again now. And so... You know that that was kind of the the opportunity. Uh, I had come out of a student-run venture fund early on, so I'd already been kind of really excited about the early stage, um, really excited about the Midwest. I'm from you know Indiana originally, yep. and so um, and I lived the rest of my life in Chicago. So it was everybody, just very natural. Way, everybody who says, including Dudley, who's from Indiana, yeah. and my lawyer, who's from everyone goes, I'm from you know. Mid- Indiana. They all shoulder shrug like <laughs> like they get all humble when they say, oh, I feel Indiana. like every state around here has like more pride <laughs> than Indiana. It's weird. It's, it <laughs> seriously is. There's so everyone from Indiana is Indiana. Yeah. Like, Except for not. Hoosiers and they talk about basketball. All the basketball yeah. at Hoosiers sucks right now. So. Yeah, well, well I, I grew up in West Lafayette, so I still cheer for Purdue. Who there did, you go. Who did all right, so. Yeah, you guys um, did real well. Anyway, um, I digress. Yeah, but uh, um, so like. You know, I think that's that's why we, we pursue this strategy. The Midwest was an opening, an opportunity. It's in, you know there are more and more seed funds, but there's still the the rounds are the, the best rounds are still not that competitive yet. No, and uh, we're seeing some coastal funds come in for like kind of the the Series A, maybe a late seed round, but most of the capital is still not coming in until you know five, ten, twenty million dollar rounds here. 
So it's it's an opportunity for for us, like a newer firm, right? Um, and then I, you know, thinking about it was I'd always been really into startups, and I I tried a few. I had a had a scooter company before those were cool. Um, miss my miss my chance there, but the time will tell on that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a good point. Um, but but uh, you know, the the point is is I wanted to start something. I wanted to be in the ecosystem, but I actually kind of thought this was a safer way. It's a startup that invests in startups, so it's like I'm kind of like a hedge on all startups. Yeah, my startup is, you know. Yeah. So, um, it's it's not a you know. not a stupid way to look at it. Yeah. So, I mean, passionate about this, and that that was kind of why the you know I, I sprung on this opportunity. So, M25. You know. What is what does that stand for? It stands for Matthew 25. So it's a biblical reference. Okay. Um, it's a parable of the talents. So if for those that aren't familiar, basically the the you know Spark Notes version yeah. is a uh, a master gives three different servants different amounts of capital to steward. Okay, and two of them go and take that capital, and over the course of a year or so, have gone to the market and doubled their money by creating businesses. And one has buried it in the ground to keep it safe. And the master comes back, and the sir he blesses the two servants that have gone and doubled and t- they've taken some risk. Yeah. They've worked hard. They've used their creativity and effort and created, you know, created more wealth, right? And he curses the one that just buried it in the ground to keep it safe. So this was to me with Christian values, and yep. this is what I believe. I wanted to have this, you know, very visible, uh, very historic version of venture capital to to it base beats the Greek names. It beats all the <laughs> random mytho- mythological yeah. names. And yeah. <laughs> the one question I would ask is, what do you do with the servant that bought a Tesla? <laughs> uh, I think it, it depends if, if before or after he made, before, before or after before. he if he just took the money and made, made a Tesla. Then, we all know those people. Yeah, I, we, I, we they get they got the money and and ran. You know, that's ideal. called the prodigal son. You got you got to <laughs> check that one out too. That's another one. Yeah. Oh my god, this is great. I hope you come back and do this regular because I think we could could kick the tires. And yeah, stuff we we had a flow. Time. We had a flow here. This is a good one. I feel like something happened here. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, where do where do companies go to? to learn or what's the best way for them to engage with you guys for, for investment or just to yeah. have drinks with you and laugh. A couple ideas. First, if you just go to our website, m25vc.com, that's going to be a really good way to just find out about like what we invest in. If you might be a right fit, you can always email us there or, you know, tweet at us at m25vc or, or my at L a L a Y a K. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the ways to reach out to us. Um, and you know, we, we usually always get back to people, you know, it's sometimes, are you, to know. The, are you the man behind the, behind the Twitter? Uh, or do you guys, do you hire it out? Like, in no, other words, a DM comes straight through you or is it, we basically just share the load internally. Okay. Like we're all like, Hey, tweet this, like, let's tweet that. Like, Oh, you're on an event. Let's take a picture and tweet it's important it. for everyone to be involved on the it's social kind of a stuff, communal thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I agree. it's not outsourced. I mean, yeah, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, best of luck with the cream of wheat. Yeah, I hope that the almond almond milk and almond butter and all this stuff, you know, helps. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I'm excited to see. Now I'm probably going to inspire you to try a a new breakfast itinerary too. My breakfast itinerary right now has been to get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> That's my itinerary. <laughs> I'm just like oh, early meeting, gotta go. I'm the husband of the year. Yeah. Um, well, and best of luck, obviously, with with number two. That if you yeah. if you get any people say it gets easier. I don't know. I, think I don't it, know how it's possible. Yeah, Maybe I don't just know. Care less. They say the you go from man uh, from zone defense to man to man. That was the 
<laughs> that's a great, from one to that's two. That's a fantastic a, analogy. Yeah, so you you had like two on one double team, you know, and it's like, you know, I'm more the one three one kind of person. Yeah, I like to have a, you know safety safety valve, some high pressure. I just like to mid-court. bring in the in laws for some help, you know, like boom. Now I'm a, we're doing that for uh, our anniversary. Our one year anniversary is coming up on Sunday. We're doing oh, it then, so that'll be a blast. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking yeah, the time. Thank you. Of course, to learn more about upcoming investment opportunities, subscribe to the Technory newsletter at technory.com to catch this episode and more download the podcast on itunes or spotify wherever you get yours and follow us on social at technory you can follow me at katoon boom that's a wrap